You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to a very special edition of the Attacking Scrum podcast. In this episode, we caught up with Ed Jackson, the former Dragons, London Welsh and Wasps number eight. Many of you will be aware of Ed's accident last year, where he ended up in intensive care, ending his rugby career and was expected to never walk again. But his recovery has been an absolutely amazing story. And I caught up with him ahead of some fundraising events that he's doing. And if you want to get involved in that, um, on the on the 10th of February and Ed Jackson London Welsh 15 is set to take on a Welsh Charitables 15 I think some amazing names who are, are set to play uh, there's loads of internationals and a couple of Lions in there too so make sure you get your hands on a ticket by heading to londonwelshrugby.com and uh, you can help support Restart Rugby which is Ed's nominated charity that I know have done a lot of work for him as part of his recovery so massive thanks to Ed for joining us it's hugely appreciated uh, as well as being a remarkable story, he's just an out and out, really, really nice guy, and it was a, a pleasure to chat to him. And big thanks to uh, Gareth Vaughan Jones at London Welsh, a uh, big friend of the podcast and long time contributor, uh, for helping us to set it up as well. So, really hope you enjoy it and make sure you get involved. Ed, massive uh, thanks for joining us on the Attacking Scrum podcast. Um, listeners to the pod will no doubt remember your uh, remember your stints at Wasps, London Welsh, um, and of course for the Dragons most recently. Um, but it's your remarkable story over the last uh, over the last nine months that uh, has really caught a, a huge amount of um, a huge amount of attention. And and we'd like to like to talk to you about that today, if that's uh, if that's all right. Uh, I'd like to start then just by asking you if you could describe to our listeners. Uh, in your own words, what happened on the on the 9th of April last year? Um, Sorry, the 8th of April, beg your pardon. Yeah, so I was actually injured at the time. I'd, I'd recovering from a shoulder operation, so um, I had the weekend off. I'd gone back home to uh, my family house in Bath. We'd gone over to a friend's because it was, you know, it was a really nice day, probably one of the 
first nice, real nice days of the year. So we just obviously went to our friend's house, had a swimming pool, had lunch. After lunch, went down to the pool. Um, they, I've never been in the pool before, and it's a bit like a feature pool. You know, mm. they had a waterfall in one end and stuff. Yeah. So I just uh, I took my clothes, took my top off, and dived in at the. Um, but where the waterfall was, thinking it was deep, but only turned out to be about three foot deep. Smacked my head on the bottom of the pool. I remember thinking, well, that was a bit of a, that was a bit of a heavy collision, but I'm used to smacking yeah. my head, so um, I didn't think much of it really. I just, I, so I didn't like lose consciousness or anything. But then when I tried to stand up, I realised that the left hand side of my body wasn't working, and I couldn't really stand up. I managed to sort of push off a bit with my right leg, which was still moving at the time to a certain extent, got my head above the water and just said, help, basically, because I didn't, it was still really confused, yeah. like what was going on. And then I sort of fell back and started sinking down and um, I was like, uh-oh, could be in a bit of trouble here. But luckily, my dad was in the pool and one of my mates had realised um, that something was wrong, yeah. came over and pulled me up to the surface. My dad's a my dad's a retired uh, GP, so he immediately thought there might there might be something wrong with my head or neck. So they stabilised my head, um, f- kept me floating in the pool, and held me still till the ambulance came, like forty minutes later. And then in that time, I lost ev- all all power and stuff faded away. So um, yeah. And how kind of aware were you of that? You know, at that at that moment in time, were you aware of of kind of what was going on, or did you just feel that something wasn't right? Um, I knew something. I kind of knew what was going on, but it was strange. I mean, I think it must have been shock. I wasn't yeah. really like panicking or anything. It was just um, I remember seeing the face on one of my mates um, who was there, and he looked like white as a sheet, terrified. And I just remember thinking, I remember saying to him like, like. Stop being so pathetic, mate. We'll be all right. It'll be all right. For, like, it was a bit weird me reassuring him, but in hindsight, I probably should have been a bit more worried or panicky. But I'm sure that would have was because of the the shock of what was going on. It wasn't until later on, when I was in the ambulance and I was getting given drop shots of adrenaline because my heart rate and yeah. blood pressure kept plummeting, that I thought, okay, yeah, this is pretty serious because. You know, I've seen 24 hours in any and they don't give you shots of adrenaline <laughs> unless you're in serious trouble. But yeah, at the actual time, you know, I was a bit, um, you know, I realised it, it, was, it, was, it wasn't great, but um, I wasn't dwelling on the implications of what might, this might mean for my future. I yeah. was just like, right, I need to get in an ambulance and get to hospital and sort this out. Dealing what was exactly what was in front of you at that exact yeah, moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, basically, yeah. It seems, you know, in all the interviews that um, that I've seen you given before and, and chatting today, you know, you, you speak very, very candidly about about this. You know, do you find it difficult to talk about, or is it actually something that that it helps to be, to be able to to be kind of so frank about it? Um, I think I've always been pretty honest and an open person, and you know, some people, you know, people might think you you know, you've been scarred by this or. I've actually been back in the pool that yeah. it, since it happened because I wanted to do that. I wanted to go back there and sort of face it all, and none of it has really affected me. I I think because it's partly because I don't blame that. I don't really have much blame, but I don't blame myself for what happened. Uh, yeah, if I could go back and not do yeah. it, I wouldn't do it. But I don't sit there and think. What if I could end up like you're an idiot? Why did you do that? So I'm all right with it. I can think back to the time it happened, and I just see it as an unfortunate accident rather than 
a stupid thing or a terrible thing that's happened. It just, you know, things happen, you know. And, yeah. Um, I suppose I'm quite fortunate that I can look at it and talk about it and open up about it. And actually, I learned in hospital and I learned through the tougher times, you know, in intensive care and when you're not moving and you're starting to contemplate whether you're ever going to be able to move again, that talking about it is the best remedy. And, like, people say that, but it's so true. Like, problem shared is a problem halved. Yeah. And the more I could open up about it, the more I could speak to people about it, the less of an issue it was for me and the happier I felt about the whole thing. Because I think for, you know, for, for most of us, it's unimaginable to, to even contemplate a, you know, a life-changing event like that. Um, but you seem to have this, this amazing kind of way of, of processing what's happened. And like you say, you know, I've been tracking your, your journey through your, um, uh, through your blog and things like that. And it just seems that every day, you know, you seem to take a... Uh, take stock of, of what's happened and, and move forward in those, uh, you know, move forward and make progress every single day. Is that kind of, is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. And I think, I think that's, you know, there's no point dwelling on the past, but that's easy to say, a lot, yeah. a lot harder to do. Um, and I think maybe it's just luck of character or it's because I've got such a good support. And there's so many different things playing into this, but I think also a lot of people would surprise themselves you know, I didn't think I'd be able to... If someone told me this was going to happen to me, yeah. I would have thought I'd be an absolute wreck. You know, you take away rugby, you take away everything I love doing in terms of, like... Because it's not just the rugby, it's everything. Like, I would go and climb climb mountains, yeah. I'd go up into Brecon Beach with dogs every day off. Like, I love being active, love being outdoors, did a lot of cycling. And if someone would say, right, that's all gone, I'd have been like, oh, no, I wouldn't be able to deal with that. But then somehow, like, I think the human brain, the human spirit's an amazing thing. And you kind of do end up dealing with it and you do compartmentalise it and you move forward. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people would surprise themselves actually how resilient they are as long as if they're faced with that situation and you never wish for someone to be faced with that situation. But now I've learned a lot about myself and I worry less, a lot less about myself being in situations like that. And now I see situations that before I would have thought were a big deal now I realise they're not at all. So it's. Not, I mean, yeah. it must be amazing, you know, incredible for context. Because, like you say, you know, you, it's not as if you're at the end of your career. You know, you've you still have plenty, plenty more years to play, um, and almost kind of you, you must fear a bit every time you go out on the pitch or every time you come back because it's such a physical game. But then to have something happen off the off the field to kind of take that away from you, you know, it's it's kind of very easy to to look at it and say that. Um, to, you know, to say that you'd, you'd almost you, you fear the game, you fear not playing the game again. But then this just puts everything into context of, of, of everything you'll go through in your whole life. Yeah, I mean, e- even more so now. You think, you know, what's the point in worrying about going and stepping out onto the field for eighty minutes, professional yeah. rugby? Yeah, it's dangerous. You know, I'd had six operations, you know, and throughout my career, and that's not great for your body when you're only twenty at you know, twenty eight, yeah. twenty nine. Um, but then it can happen to anyone at any time. You know, I was just diving into a pool. You play 10 years professional rugby, but the actually the most serious injury of your life comes on a barbecue yeah. on, a Sunday, on a Saturday afternoon. So there's no point worrying about things like that. It's, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. You can't live your life in fear and wrap yourself in cotton wool. I mean, obviously I wasn't doing that anyway because I was playing rugby. Yeah. And most people think that's a stupid thing to do medically, which it probably is. But I'm not going to change in that respect. I'm not going to now start you know, not jumping off things into pools or, you know, I don't want it to affect my life as much as, you know, it's already affected my life, but I don't want to affect it more 
by stopping doing things or wrapping myself in cotton wool or being scared of things because if anything it's made me realize that you can't protect yourself against stuff like this because no. it wasn't a ridiculous I wasn't like um trying to do a triple backflip off yeah. a cliff into a you know it, it was just diving into a pool it's something so that happened yeah there's no point in worrying about it because it could happen whenever yeah I mean it's I mean your progress is just is absolutely remarkable though I mean to say it's only nine months is there you know is there almost kind of a a secret to your success or has there been something that you've done that has that has kind of enabled you to to be in you know in, in such fantastic condition now I think um there's probably quite a few things that have played into it um I think you know these injury a lot to do with these injuries is the mental side of things yeah. and being able to stay positive because you know I spend a lot of time on spinal units yeah. and a lot of people are in a very dark place you know a lot of, some people don't even have family and friends going in to see them and they won't get out of bed they won't go and do the physio they won't because they won't go and put the effort in because they're not motivated to do it and that's nothing against them most of the time it's because of their circumstance I was very lucky that I had a very good support network I had all my friends and family coming in every day I had that motivation to get better because I was doing it for not just for myself but for everyone else and recovering from these injuries is a lot to do with luck. If I had a, if I'd had a complete spinal injury, yeah. so none of my cord was still attached, there's nothing I could do about that. You know, there's, no matter how much rehab I could have done, I'd have had to have waited and hoped that there was a medical breakthrough, which is what people like Matt Hampson yeah. and Henry Fraser were doing. But there was a chance for me to make a recovery. We didn't know how much. Like the original prognosis had me down to stay in Asia a category Asia A, which basically means I would be using not just a wheelchair, I would have been using an electric wheelchair because I wouldn't have been able to move my arms properly. But these recovery from these things is about doing hours and hours and hours of things every day. So it's all on you. You can have as much physio as you like, but I have two to three hours of hands-on physio a day, but it's the stuff in between. So like originally in intensive care, I just had to stare at my feet and imagine moving them in my head because you've got to keep sending those messages down. And even though nothing was happening, some people might have been like, well, I'm not doing that, it's not working. Yeah. But you've just got to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And basically, I didn't have a choice, you know? It was the different, there was so much on the line, you know? I had to, I was trying to get myself walking again. So to the motivation side of things was easy. It wasn't like, oh yeah, you might not get fit for next weekend's game. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to bother doing that sort of thing. It was like, do you want to be in a wheelchair for the rest of life? Or do you want to have a chance of, sort of getting back up on your feet. So, um, yeah, we kind of made that decision early on and just attacked it full, full with full force. And then, obviously, the rugby charities got involved, um, which took a lot of stress away from... Um, you know, I, I wasn't getting any extra physio in hospital than I would have if I was... Because it's in the NHS, so mm. they're not allowed to bring in external people. But since I've left hospital, I've had, like, amazing input, you know, and that's all being because of support from like the rugby charities so restart rugby and the matt hampson foundation and now things like you know the, the the game that they're putting on at london welsh in a month's time you know all of that i wouldn't be able to do this this rehab i wouldn't be able to afford to do it oh i would i'd have to have sold my house yeah. i have to work because i haven't got a job anymore i'm not getting paid you know so it is literally invaluable and the results are there to see it seems like the the rugby community has been really quick to to rally round, and you've mentioned some of those charities there as well. Has that has that been the case? Yeah, a ridiculous response. You know, you hear about the rugby the rugby family, you yeah. know, and you know I've been playing, and you 
playing in it and you know you you understand how connected all the clubs are and you know it's kind of like a one in all in but I couldn't believe the support that the messages I received from players all over, from all over the world fans from all different clubs not just my former clubs obviously my former clubs have been amazing but from every from everyone it's just been you know it's been humbling really because you know I'm not like a big name in rugby or anything it wasn't it wasn't like that you know I had a half decent career but I haven't played international it's not like I was famous rugby player but everyone's come out and you know just been so supportive and having that feeling of like community and that moral support hasn't just helped with me raising funds to do the rehab it's helped me mentally knowing that I'm not in this alone I know everyone's willing me on and I'm sure I've made a better recovery because of that and do you think that that's kind of inspired you to do a lot of the the charity work yourself so you mentioned the things that are happening here at London Welsh um has that been you know part of it that the response you received has has kind of wanted to, to spur you on a bit yeah definitely I mean I've I like I said earlier you know a lot of these um when I was talking about a problem shared is a problem mm. halved and you know people would reach out to me who had been through accidents like this before and speaking to them, a lot of it is, is completely alien, you know, like you see the obvious signs, you know, that I can't move things, but actually a spinal cord injury, you know, bladder and bowel issues, yeah. sexual function issues, all of these things that actually play a bigger part in people with spinal cord injuries lives, but on the surface people don't yeah. see. And they're hard, hard things to talk about. As they're well, hard right? things yeah. to talk about. So sometimes you don't want to talk about these things with your family. But people who can reach out to you who have been through it before and all of a sudden you're talking to someone who's lived it and they're reassuring you. And the amount that helped me, I wanted to do the same. And that was the reason why I started blogging about it at the time. You know, and now I'm, you know, yeah, I write, um, I write posts about what's going on, my recovery and things that might help. But actually the bulk of it is me speaking privately to people who are in hospital going through a similar thing and helping them through it, giving them advice, even if it's just a, you know, just some moral support, or if it's actually functional, you know, useful, practical advice about being in hospital, because I know how much it helped me, so I want to do that to help them, and that's the same with the charity work. I find it more rewarding that I actually feel like I might have made someone more comfortable. That gives me more of a buzz than winning any rugby match. And I never knew that would be the case, and I've only discovered that because of my injury. So that's kind of a gift, this, this is a positive thing that's come out of all of this, and that's what I want to concentrate on moving forward. Yeah, I mean, your positivity is, you know, is, is evident, and um, I think, you know, you've obviously you've said that that's, that's been a big part of your recovery, and, and you've actually, you early on described yourself as, as being lucky. It's, it must be difficult reaching out to, to some other people who, you know, won't make the, the same recovery that you have. Um, how do you kind of go about, about doing that and about offering your words of wisdom in, in you know, such difficult circumstances? Yeah, it, you know, it's always hard when people um, are clearly not going to make a similar recovery. But at the same time, if they're an incomplete injury, it's just having the hope that they will. And for the first few weeks and months in hospital, I didn't know that I was going to make a recovery. Yeah. So I've been through the same stuff as a lot of those people what the how where they end up might not be as far down the line but people like you know I point them towards people like Matt Hampson yeah. who's got like the highest level injury you can get he's got a permanent tracheotomy he's um 
he's been ill over Christmas, and I wish him the best. Best, you know. I'm sure he'll be he'll pull through it because he's one of the strongest blokes I know. But his positivity and his outlook, considering his injury, was so inspiring for me because in the early days I knew that even though it was bad, it wasn't as bad as Matt's. And Matt's all right. He's done amazing things with his life. So what excuse have I got? And actually, mo- a lot of the people I speak to aren't necessarily people with spinal cord injuries. I get contacted by people with all from with all sorts of issues, yeah. from like depression to badly broken ankles so they're at housebound you know so their issues aren't as bad as mine so they're doing the same thing with me as I was doing with Matt you're looking at someone who's on paper worse off but doing okay mentally and taking some strength from that yeah it's absolutely amazing I think you mentioned um, Henry Fraser earlier as well and you look at what Henry's uh, what Henry's done and again likewise it's such an inspirational journey to follow and um, yeah I think I think it's it's very um, it's very easy for anyone to take something out of that and to to put a positive spin on whatever their own battles are, be yeah. It, yeah, be it injury or depression or whatever. No, and Henry's done amazingly well as well, and he's such a positive guy too. And it's and I don't think you ask you ask Henry or Matt or different for myself because I'm making a good recovery, but I'm definitely a better person than I was before, and a much more appreciative person. You know, I now realise what's important in my life because you know you're sat there and you think you've lost everything yeah then all of a sudden the things that you know on paper on paper you know I was a big rugby player and that that was my identity sort of thing all of a sudden that's it and mm. everything's gone all you've got left is your friends and your family and the fact the fact now that I can walk around again even though I can't even walk very well but I appreciate that so much yeah. you know whereas before I just take it for granted yeah so um, it's kind. Of, it gives. It does give. Going through these sort of life-changing injuries can give you a gift. Can take. You can take positives out of them as as long as you're willing to look at it like that. Because it's very easy to go the other way and feel sorry for yourself and beat yourself up in all walks of life. You know. Yeah, I've faced a bigger challenge than a lot of people will face, but everyone's facing their own challenges. And it's just, do you sit back and feel sorry for yourself and mope around, or do you look at it and think, right, what can I get out of this? Let's make the best of it because. It's only as bad as you make it, you know. It, this would have been a terrible accident if I'd lied in hospital and refused to yeah. refuse to do my rehab or got really down about it, got really depressed about it. But I've tried to go the other way and take positives out of out of it. And I hope that in a year, two years' time, I can look back and say, I can almost do it now. I think that the eighth of April, when I broke my neck in that pool, was a good day because enough good has come out of it now that it's better that it happened than it didn't happen. I and mean, that's that is an amazing outlook to be able to have though. Yeah, but it's you know, it's it's my way of I suppose it's my way of dealing with it and you know that and Matt does it, Henry does it, you know, and it's possible for anyone to do it. It's diff not saying it's easy. It's you know, it's probably there's there's dark days, trust yeah. me, but everyone has their dark days, you know, but you've got to concentrate on the positive things and just sort of keep keep moving forward. Let's have a look. Uh, you mentioned earlier, obviously, there's um, some big fundraising events uh, coming up, uh, in particular here at London Welsh um, in February. And just wanted to talk about that for a moment. So we've got Ed Jackson's London Welsh 15 against the Welsh Charitables uh, side, which should be, uh, should be a great occasion. Uh, who can we look forward to, to seeing on, uh, 
well, that day. The response has been amazing, to be fair. So that's 10th of February before the England-Wales game. And they always put a big event down, on down here at Old Deer Park anyway. And they always have a, one of the game, a charity game going on before. And um, one, of the, one of the directors got in touch and said they wanted to do it um, on my behalf to raise money for Restart Rugby, who have been supporting me. And, you know, um, on the charitable side, you know, there's, there's 11 ex-internationals at the moment, two ex-British Lions, you know. You've got people like Ryan Jones and Ian Goff, Richie Reese, who's an old teammate of mine. And it'd just be, you know, they always get a good team together, charitable. So be some, um, that'd be fun to watch. But on the Ed Jackson Select 15 side of things, it's brilliant because I've pretty much, we've pretty much got a full team of the team that were, I played with here at London Welsh yeah. five or six years ago. Obviously, some of them can't play because they're still playing professionally. But the, we've got 30 players to choose from. So and and all of them I know and of London Welsh players, we're not having to bring in ringers. You know, we, we're using a few of the current first team players from London Welsh, which, which is great. You know, because they're obviously trying to rebuild things rugby wise down here. And uh, yeah, it'll just be a great event. And obviously, marquee beers, England Wales game afterwards as well. Um, I'm looking forward to it. it. Should be a good day. Yeah, it's always uh, always a great event down here. And with that. Um with that on top of it, I obviously encourage anyone, uh, anyone who's in the area or not, just to, to to come down. And you can get tickets through uh, through LondonWelshRugby.com. So make sure if you're interested uh, to do that. And there's also a big um, a big event on the 9th of Feb as well. So uh, an evening with Gareth Edwards, which uh, you know is always uh, is always uh, a fascinating thing. Just to finish, then uh, Ed, you know, kind of um. Are you someone who enjoyed watching rugby in your spare time when you were playing, or were you someone who actually liked to get on with other things? And um, I, I was actually, I'd, I'd watch, I would watch games if my mates were playing, but yeah. I used to like to switch off from it when I was playing. Um, well, during my career, you know, I'd, when once I got away from training, got away from playing, I loved it. I loved doing it, but actually, away when I was away, it was like became a bit of a job. I was a massive fan when I was a kid, but kind of it was a job then. Yeah, and I loved my job, but then I didn't want to spend the rest of my life looking at my job, and I wasn't sure how that was going to go after I finished playing. But I watch loads of rugby now. The missus is really annoyed about it because she used to be able to watch what she wanted in the weekend. And now I've got back-to-back games Ban- banished so. to the iPad. Yeah, yeah basically, yeah. Fantastic, and um, yeah, I was going to ask you about a couple of your former clubs as well. We may as well start with London Welsh because it's been a, um, it's been something of a, ro- a roller coaster down here for the last couple of years. What have you made of the the rebirth of this great club? Well, it's just great that they've managed to grab hold of things, and you know, the, you can still see the passion and feel the passion around here. You know, there's some lifelong fans of London Welsh. Such a great club. It would have been terrible if it not just disappeared from the top leagues, but started to dissolve as a club and the passion around the place but that hasn't changed you know there's still all the same old faces coming down to watch you've got old boys coaching you know Sonny and um, Will Taylor who's one of my mates as well coaching down here and Kai and um, I'm sure they're obviously top of the league at the moment and they'll start to rebuild things and hopefully 10-20 years time who knows they'll be back to where it was but um, yeah in terms of my time at London Welsh you know I came I came here Signed here from Doncaster as a 22-year-old um, in the championship. And that year, we didn't have a hope in hell. We ended up winning the league. And that's still, looking back at my career now, the best year of rugby of my life in terms of fun and defying the odds and winning the championship. And uh, then went on to play my first year in the premiership after that. And then went sort of went on from there to, to Wasps and, uh, and Dragons. So London Welsh really was the building blocks of my career, so to speak. And... Uh, 
yeah, it's still a club that I hold very closely to my heart. And um, what about the the Dragons then? Obviously, going through a uh, you know period of, of evolution or revolution, as it's as it's been called. Have you uh, you know have you stayed in touch with a, a lot of the, the players down there and the and the staff? And what have you made of of what's happening in Newport? Yeah, well, I've obviously I go down to quite a few of the games. I'm only in Bath, still really close with a lot of the mates. I've still got my I've still got my house in Cardiff, so we get back there quite a lot. And you know, there's some um, there's some great players down there, some really good young boys, and they've got like a core of young boys from Gwent, local lads who are coming through. You know, the likes of Ollie Griffiths and Elliot D. You know, some really good players. They just needed, they didn't have basically didn't have the funds to put the put key people, senior players in key positions to help nurture these boys through and start winning some games. But all the building blocks are there now. You know, they've got, with the support from the WRU, they've made some great signings and there's some big names to be announced for next year as well, which um, means I think they're only going to go in one, in, they're only going to go one way now. I think they've got the best support in the, best support in Wales as a region, you know, down at Rodney Parade. And, um, I think just putting a few a few key names in certain positions, they've got all the building blocks for two, three years' time to be, I, I would like to think, right up there, if not the best region in Wales. Just to finish then, uh, to bring it back to to bring it back to you, going into, you're sat here at the, the start of a, of a new year, what's your kind of, your personal ambition for the next 12 months? So... Um, I've still got a lot of rehab to do. You know, I'm still improving at the moment. I still spend a lot of hours every day just trying to take advantage of that because you do have a time frame. You do have a window of you know, it gets smaller and smaller as time goes on because your neurology slows down. So the next two years, especially, I'll be spending a lot of time rehabbing. However, I'm just going to concentrate on doing work for the charities that have supported me, raising more awareness for spinal cord injuries, and start doing some physical challenges as well. I'm going to announce um, this weekend that we're going to try and climb Snowdon, um, but in March, in the middle of March. So then that will be within a year. Um, so just within a year, and I, you know, I, I sort of think back to with the time I was in intensive care, not moving, and if someone could tell them, you know, this guy had a similar injury to you, yeah. he managed to climb Snowdon within a year of his injury. You know, I know that would help someone. Mo- motivate people so whether I'm going to be able to do it or not um, I'm not sure but that's the kind of challenges I want to do you know ones where is he going to make it I don't know not and then raise some funds and awareness yeah. for the charities as well then after Snowden who knows what you know maybe something higher <laughs> Ed it's been absolutely fascinating chatting to you and uh, yeah really really inspirational so with all those challenges next year we'll uh, we'll no doubt be uh, be tracking them and I'm sure all the listeners would uh, would join me in wishing you all the best for the next year cheers mate appreciate it thanks Ed Podcast Network.